Welcome along to 20 Minute Topic. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined as usual by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. It's now been more than three years since the United Kingdom formally left the European Union. Since then, the UK and the world has gone through a pandemic that has caused enormous economic and political upheaval. What have the advantages of Brexit been so far? Being outside the EU's procurement programme led to a far swifter rollout of the vaccine, which inevitably saved many lives and allowed society to return to a larger degree of normality more quickly than it otherwise would. Beyond that, why is our political establishment being so slow to take advantage of the freedoms and flexibility Brexit allows? Who are Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt actually working for? It appears as though the price to be paid for a broadly favourable Brexit deal was throwing Northern Ireland under a bus. Can the Northern Ireland protocol be made to work? We've got a lot to talk about and not much time to do it in. Do stay with us. Well, Greg, we've been away for a little while and in one sense, nothing much changes, does it? Because the Ramonas are still going on and on and on and blaming all our country's problems on Brexit when the reality of the situation, we can look across the EU, we can look across the entire world, there's food price inflation, we're seeing the effects of the pandemic in terms of supply chains still far from back to normal, we're seeing the effects of the events in Ukraine uh, massively affecting supplies. Brexit is not the cause of all our problems. And looking across the EU, food price inflation in, and inflation in general is significantly higher in many EU countries. And the very key point to begin this discussion, Greg, we are having interest rate rises and we're being told that um, interest rate rises should level off at some point at the middle point of this year. Whether you think that is the right decision or the wrong decision is in one sense immaterial. The point being, if we were in the Eurozone, we would have no control whatsoever over our interest rates. And that is a key problem that many EU countries are facing right now. Oh, I would agree with you entirely. Um, we are, as we now stand, better off than when we were in the EU. There's, there are many things still uh, to iron out as part of Brexit. We haven't got the Brexit that we voted for yet. And that's mainly because the uh, European Union is being utterly obdurate about it because they are terrified that Britain is making a success of it, even on these terms. It may not feel like it to us. And the mainstream media, who are all woke remainers, almost without exception, and the people who get a voice there are in the main still conducting their same old fear threats, which are absolute nonsense. You mentioned our food prices. Food prices in much of Europe are higher than in Britain. I also am well aware that, believe it or not, we eat more in Britain. The reason being that unlike France and Spain and Italy, we have a very cold climate. I'm not saying it is particularly cold, but it is colder than France, Spain and Italy. Therefore, we need more fuel in our human boilers to keep the heat going. I know it sounds a bit simplistic to talk in those terms, but we do consume more and in many cases better food. 
it may not be better in terms of gourmet cooking, but it is better in terms of pure nutrition a lot of the time. We would actually be better off had we left the European Union earlier, because by now we would be producing more of our own food. But due to the European Union and its idiot policies when it comes to agriculture, we find that we are having to import food that otherwise we can produce ourselves. The well, Green Greg, Lobby also has an awful lot to answer for in pushing up our costs. They are the people who are doing us more damage. It's not due to Brexit that we have uh, in inflation. It's not due to Brexit we have high food costs. It is not due to Brexit that we are suffering at the moment. A lot well, Greg, of Greg, suffering Greg, Greg. is due to having to pay for shiploads of people France won't accept responsibility for. Greg, that's a whole other argument as far as I'm concerned, because the reality is, I think, in terms of the migrant crisis, we have to think of it in terms of it effectively being a land border, particularly in the summer months, whether we like it or not. The only way this can possibly be solved is by a negotiation with France. There is no other option there now. But I'm going to go look, look at the exact situation as it is. And this is something we can say to the, the Ramona Brigade about the practicalities of what they're actually calling for, because there are people in our political establishment and in our mainstream media that not only didn't accept the result of the referendum and never have done, but actually want Brexit to fail so they can say, I told you so, and they can push us back in. But let's look at the reality of what that would mean. We paid when we left £17.4 billion to the EU each year. We had a negotiated rebate of £4.2 billion. That would not be an option if we were to rejoin. Now, to put it into context, France currently pays £21.3 billion. So that's something they need to consider. The second, what would net migration be if free movement of people was restored? Can they answer that question? I don't think they can. There are currently eight more countries vying to join the EU with a combined population of 145 million people. Now, you just talked a little bit there about the migrant crisis and people coming in illegally and everything like that. A potential, they're not saying 145 million people would come here legally, but if we were to rejoin the EU, they would have the right to. How many of them would choose to do so? And that's something that needs to be considered as well, on top of the existing EU population. When the UK joined what was then the EEC in 1973, the EEC represented 20% of the global economy. When we left what became the EU, it was just 8% and it was falling. And that is a symptom of how the world has changed. And the world in which we live in today is a very different place in terms of where economic growth is and where population centres are in this world. Now, this government, we can come on to this in a minute, has been a bit slow or more than a bit slow off the mark in terms of taking advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. But we have got trade agreements with Australia, Singapore and Japan. We are close to a deal with the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a huge free trade area of more than 500 million people. Rejoining the EU would throw all of that away. And if we did rejoin the EU, we'd have to join the Eurozone. What would the economic cost be of that? We would not, as I've already alluded to, we'd no longer be able to set our own interest rates. That's certainly been a useful tool at dealing with our current set of circumstances. And in terms of fisheries, this is something 
the late Christopher Booker wrote about in the final part of his life in quite a lot of depth in his Sunday Telegraph column, fisheries. By 2026, we'll have control of our, what's left of our fisheries. And in all honesty, that's not very much. But what would the cost of rejoining the common fisheries policy be? All the gains of that would be lost. Now, here's the key one, Greg, of, of where we are. I'm just, I know I'm talking a lot here and there's a lot to take in, but I'm taking stock of where we actually are. Official statistics show that our exports to the EU have not actually been damaged by leaving. They actually reached a record high in July last year, 2022. So the question you'd have to ask the Remainers, what would the economic advantage of rejoining the EU actually be? I haven't even touched on what rejoining would be for judicial and parliamentary sovereignty and for foreign policy. And also, when these unfavourable terms of rejoining were negotiated, would the rejoiners and the Ramonas commit to a referendum on those um, agreed terms? I do wonder. So these are the questions. When you see these people, they're not being asked these questions, Greg, anything like enough when they appear on television, on radio, about the practicalities of what they're actually calling for. I agree with you entirely. But then again, the truth uh, is something that bears little interest uh, to the Ramonas, uh, because from my point of view, and I would submit that from the majority of well-informed who are not looking to pushy numbers and joining the gravy train for themselves for their own personal interests, I couldn't give a damn what the advantages of being in the European Union are. None of them, whatever they are, will ever add up to the advantages of being a free man in a free country. I completely agree with that. Um, but even if we were to talk about so-called economic advantages, I don't think there are many of them looking at where we are. Now, if someone says to me, oh, what's been the advantage of um, having left the EU in the last few years, try, trying to be a smart Alex, some people are saying, not taking into account with particularly good grace the fact that we've been through a global pandemic, I would very, very simply say to them that the fact that we weren't inside the EU procurement programme for the vaccine meant that far more people were vaccinated far more quickly and far more lives were saved, particularly amongst vulnerable people, as a result of that, and I don't think that should ever be overlooked. But Greg, looking at events of the last week, for example, something went on, that meeting um, out in the countryside in the posh country house over the weekend, and Michael Gove was there and Peter Mandelson were there, and other dignitaries were there, well, so-called dignitaries anyway. What on earth was all that really about? Treason. Go on. Well, you asked. Yeah. It was about fine. destroying Britain's democratic choice and endeavouring to silence the British voter with lies, exaggerations and fear factor so that they could get back to their cushy little numbers where they personally made money out of it. Let us not forget that you quote these individuals, David Lammy for one, what did he earn last year? Oh yes, it as I recall, he earned £200,000 offshore, which is not a very socialist principle. Um, Gove has always been a snake in the grass. He tried a knife job on Boris Johnson during the um, leadership campaign. He failed and had to fall in line. And I must admit, I think the only person who's done anything 
sensible about Grove, who is as tricky as a cartload of monkeys, is Sarah Vine. She divorced mm. him. And mm. then we have people like Hesseltine. Hesseltine, if he'd stopped painting and decorating, he'd probably still be quite a nice guy. But he tried a knife job on Margaret Thatcher to get leadership of the party. And now in his dotage, he is still wittering on a bitter old man because he didn't get what he wanted. Then you have to look at the Bank of England. The Bank of England isn't the Bank of England. It's the Bank of Woke working for the interests of other countries, not Britain. Right, Greg. Greg, you've come on to something very important, and I'm aware that we're well over halfway through our time already, so this is something key to where I want to go next. Our political establishment doesn't really believe in Brexit. It certainly hasn't done enough to seize the opportunities and the freedoms we now have. And I have serious doubts, very serious doubts, about who Rishi Sunak and even more so Jeremy Hunt are actually working for. Because I don't believe they are working for the British national interest. I don't believe they are working for the British people. I don't believe they are working for those people in red wall seats who voted for Brexit and then voted for Boris Johnson in the 2019 general election, a government led by Boris Johnson. They took a leap of faith on the Conservative Party in areas that hadn't voted Conservative for generations. At the moment, with maybe a year, 18 months to a general election, they have every right to feel badly let down by the way Sunak and Hunt are behaving. So do I. I am badly let down. They ousted the person we voted for in an internal coup based on absolutely nothing, where the crimes that Johnson was accused of, and we knew exactly who Johnson was when we elected him. We knew he was um, a bit liberal with the actuality, but at least he wasn't lying to us all the time, unlike Cameron or Osborne or Blair or Brown. I do question, um, and uh, others before me who've been around a lot longer than I have, and people who've worked with Boris Johnson, question whether he had a, the necessary skill set to be an effective prime minister. And, but by that, I'm, I'm talking to everyone from Norman Tebbit to Andrew Neil, who've worked with him over the years at one time or another. Does he have the self-discipline and the management skills necessary? We know he was liberal with the truth. We know his personal morality often left a lot to be desired. There was a combination of Wallpaper Gate, Party Gate, um, the Owen Patterson affair, and finally what happened with Chris Pincher all ultimately caught up with him. But what we have now is a government following a programme of, uh, of policies which nobody voted for anywhere. They do seem to be working. I wonder whether uh, Sunak and Hunter working for the EU or for the Chinese or for the World Economic Forum, because it sure as hell doesn't seem to be Britain to me. Well, they're open, openly stated by Starmer and uh, by uh, Sumac and uh, Hunt that they back the WEF. It's openly stated that they want a closer relationship with one of our arch enemies, China. Mm. And when we know damn well that China will take the very first opportunity that it can to seize the China Sea and control of it, which will probably include the Philippines and Vietnam, but 
definitely to invade Taiwan because they see it as an entitlement on their part. How now long that... before they go into Australia? Now, what you say about Taiwan, I agree with. There's another aspect to what China is doing that very often gets overlooked, and that is that they are effectively creating a slave empire in Africa to, to mine for the, the parts that go into our mobile phones and into electric car batteries. And what you see they're doing there is they, they're trying to get all the economic advantages of empire without any other political responsibility. They buy up the mining rights and end up treating the people who work there absolutely appallingly. That's overlooked. We hear a little about the Uyghur Muslims, but nowhere near enough. And by the way, shame on Stanley Johnson, Boris Johnson's father, for his comments on what would normally be the Piers Morgan programme on Talk TV last night. Uh, Piers Morgan's on holiday. It was um, Richard Tyson, Isabel Oakeshott. I thought his comments on the China situation were utterly shameful, I have to say. But people are overlooking. I mean, OK, the COVID virus very, very likely started in China. We don't hear any sort of talk about compensation or sanctions as a result of that. OK, we might have a little bit about what's going on with the Uyghur Muslims, but nowhere near enough. Nothing about their persecution of political opponents, people of any religious faith. We don't hear anything like enough about this because China has all the economic power, it seems. And this government particularly, but also it has to be said, the USA are terrified of standing up to them. That's how it seems to me. And just as a final, the European Union has achieved absolutely nothing, not a thing, to defend its industry against China. Are you aware that Honda have pulled out of Europe? Are you aware that the new Mini and the various electric cars that were going to be built in Britain and Europe are now going to be built in China, another industry that's gone. Are you aware that we are, expect to burn somewhere in the region of four billion tonnes of coal this year, much of which will be used to make steel and cement for the foundations of wind turbines in China, India and Nigeria? Are you aware that we will be burning coal to make the glass for solar panels in China just so that our green lobby of woke idiots can say we don't burn coal? No, we get the Chinese to burn it for us, steal all our jobs and then spend a fortune on fuel shipping us the goods they make with it. Great. We're, we're very... We move forward on being... Britain, and we leave the European Union in the festering mess it is getting in, the better. Greg, we're very, very much up against it. We've only got about a minute left, so I'm going to have to ask you to be very brief indeed when you address this point, if you can, please. And that is, we haven't mentioned Northern Ireland yet. And I know when Theresa May was negotiating, we had all this talk of the, Nor of the Northern Ireland backstop and all this. That ultimately went out of the window. The reality is we got um, a trade border down the middle of the Irish Sea. The alternative, it seems, practical one would be to have a, a, a trade border on the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. But that would mean border checks. Last time that happened, there were bodies everywhere. Is the Northern Ireland situation, in 30 seconds, if you can, please, is it solvable? And if so, how? It's solvable. We point out to the European Union that Northern Ireland voted democratically to be a part of the United Kingdoms. And if they want a border down between 
the two parts on the island. That is entirely up to Europe. We are happy not to have one other than a trust border on goods and services. But we are not surrendering a chunk of our United Kingdoms to control by the utterly undemocratic, corrupt and odious European Union that we have had such difficulty leaving. Well, fine words, Greg, but at the moment, that's effectively what we have done to Northern Ireland. We've thrown it under a bus as part of the terms of getting the Boris Johnson agreed deal through. That does feel as though a little bit where we are at the moment, but time has beaten us, I'm afraid. But thank you, Greg. It's been an interesting discussion. We covered a lot of ground in not very much time. My thanks as always to Greg. My thanks to you for listening. Join us again next time.